Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us. Today's topic is big changes at the port with my friend, Lauren Began. How's it going, Lauren? Hi, Joe. Great, great. Thank you so much for having me back. I always enjoy chatting with you. I know, I know. We blab, we blab more offline than online. Anyway, <laughs> Two Michiganders mm-hmm, getting together, that's right? That's exactly <laughs> it. So, Lauren, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today. Sure. So, I'm Lauren Began. I'm the founder and founder and principal of Squall Strategies. It's a maritime consulting legal solutions company. I'm calling in from just south of Boston, kind of the south coast of Massachusetts. But like I alluded to, I'm originally from Michigan, Traverse City, Michigan, up north. I uh, grew up on the lakes and and kind of everything, obsessed with everything ocean and maritime. <laughs> well, but Lake Michigan's way better than the ocean. <laughs> it's just it's, it's just as big, but the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we always say of our Great Lakes, unsalted and no sharks. Shark free. <laughs> Shark free. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and by the way, I was just in your hometown, Traverse City, for a wedding. It was a magical weekend. I went to all the wineries and that was great. Oh, you know who has a winery up there? I guess you know. The guy from Oak Island. I've heard. Yeah, I've so heard. he owns a, uh, a winery called Mari up there. So there's those two brothers. I think from the, they're from the Upper Peninsula, but they live in Traverse City now. Yeah. So the guys who are from Mystery of Oak Island, those are Michiganders. So they're yep. they're from the Upper Peninsula, which by the way, Nova Scotia is a, a day at the beach after you live in the UP. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, more moose than people, more moose than people. Yes, yes. But anyway, I was in Traverse City. And for those of you who have not been to Lawrence Hometown, it's the most beautiful place on earth until, I don't know, I feel like till till November, December. So it's getting, (laughs) I'm not a huge fan of them. They got more winter up there than we have down here. So, (laughs) well, you you just, you know, it it creates a hardiness. I think, you know, it, it, that whole Midwest hard worker, it just, you, you, you can't see it as a as a barrier or as a as a you know you just overcome it like you just have to learn to live with it and so how do you learn to live with it you put on boots and you right, keep going right. and by the way it's also like in the olden days when you used to go to Traverse City it was like cottages and when I say cottage I mean like a cottage cottage now when somebody says I have a cottage up north meaning Traverse City a yeah it's a it's a million dollar house on the lake and you're like yeah. this is not a cottage it has seven bedrooms and <laughs> 17 bathrooms. <laughs> yeah. We also, in, in recent years, maybe they'll pass 10, have a direct service only in the summertime between New York and Traverse City. By the way, is- the, at the wedding I was at, lots of people flew to it. And my daughter fly, my ex-wife has a house in Traverse City. And oh, she yeah. in Florida. And I know they fly to Traverse City. You could not used to fly to Traverse City. You'd have to go to Detroit and drive the four and a half hours up. So... But anyway, you told me Paris Hilton was often in Traverse City because that's where her husband's got ties there. I did not see her. No, she didn't see Madonna's me. dad. I know, has a winery I know. Up He's there. I did not see that. I did not see the Madonna family, and I did not. <laughs> I know Mayor Pete's husband's from there, and I heard they moved to Michigan. So he's in Traverse City now. There, he is often. I have friends who often. He's going to run for Michigan. Flight. Into yeah, I don't maybe I don't. Not going to run. <laughs> maybe president again. Who knows? Yes. <laughs> Secretary Pete. Secretary Pete. <laughs> yes, yes. So yeah. By by the way, we should mention that. So we call him Mayor Pete. He used to be the mayor of South Bend, 
Indiana, yeah, right Indiana. over the border. That's Pete, mm-hmm. Pete yeah. Buttigieg, and um, now he is the Department or of Transportation. Trans- yeah, Secretary, Secretary of Secret- Department of Transportation. There you go. Glad <laughs> you you're on my podcast. Secretary. <laughs> yeah, I, got, I gotcha. <laughs> so anyway, did not see any of those fine folks while I was up north. So anyway, Lauren, what do you guys do over at Squall Strategies? Sure. So, um, you know, so I have very specific experience in in kind of all things maritime, but specifically the Federal Maritime Commission. I worked there as the International Affairs Attorney in the General Counsel's Office, and I worked at a port. So I'm, I'm really able to bridge kind of that knowledge, the, the regulatory expertise of of the Federal Maritime Commission and regulating the ocean industry. They, they work on the fair, efficient movement of, of goods from ocean-borne cargo for the benefit of the U.S. exporter, importer, and, and consumer. You know, they're, they're that regulatory agency that nobody had heard of until things got bad a few right. years ago during container getting and, and congestion right. and, and COVID-19. So I helped kind of translate all of the things that they do. But I've also worked at a port. You know, I, I worked at the, the Port of Boston up in, up in obviously Boston. And and so I know what it feels like to be a user of the of the world too. And so I can break it down. That's that's something that I like to do is really just break it down, translate it so that it's approachable for everybody to understand. And so that's what I do. I work with, you know, I work with shippers, I work with associations, I work with really anybody who's certainly a lot of people who have detention and demerge questions these days or concerns or disputes. You know, I, I'm, I get brought into a lot of those conversations on what are my options? How, what do I do from here? I have millions of dollars of of you know outstanding D and D, what how do I how do I approach this? And so you know I can I can certainly help strategize and and consult on on all things. And so so you worked at this port, and then you you're, you're a maritime lawyer, and so you started Squall Strategies. And I I know most law firms go by you know Lauren Began Esquire yeah, or yeah. something <laughs> like that, but you're going by Squall Strategies because that's kind of your background. So by the way, I did interview Lauren before, and so. Please, um, I'll put a I'll put a link to that in the show notes so you can listen to her background. She's has a very interesting background per her conversation statement. She she did work at a port. She is an attorney, but she also when she was back in Traverse City drove the big boats up there. So she she has uh, quite a bit of knowledge that is hands on in addition to just the legal knowledge. And again, when I wanted to talk about the big changes at the port, I wanted to talk to her. And one other thing, and please comment on this. We have the Department of Transportation, which most of us, when we're moving freight, it's over the road. And so it goes under the Department of Transportation, which is Secretary Pete Buttigieg. And then we have the Federal Maritime Commission, which governs the ports. And again, you you made a great point. Nobody really gives a damn about those until there's a change (laughs) or a problem. And obviously during the COVID and even after COVID, we've had these aftershocks. We still have problems, and I don't think they're going to go away. There's this you know, bullwhip effect, whatever you want to call it, where uh, the supply chains are not quite back to normal. And so comment first on DOT versus FMC. Yeah. So, so, you know, this is something that I actually cover. So, so I created a, a podcast myself and, and for this very niche reason of kind of trying to demystify and translate what's happening on the ocean side of things. And so that's one of the things that I, I cover. One of my episodes is FMC versus Marad. So the Maritime Administration is a department within the Department of Transportation. So you might be familiar, FMCSA is also under under DOT. You have FAA, you have, you know, all these different other branches, FIMSA, Pipeline and Hazardous Materials. So MARAD is the maritime agency. They tend to be the U.S. 
flag fleet promotion or the or the U.S. side or, you know, they do infrastructure projects for the ports, whereas the Federal Maritime Commission is an independent regulatory agency. So MARAD is part of the cabinet level, the, the you know, it's part of the kind of executive branch of the government, whereas the Federal Maritime Commission is independent. And so, you know, co- the president will, will um, appoint point, but then it has to be Senate confirmed for any of those commissioners to get into those roles. So they're a little insulated from the change in administration. Which so is the, good. The president, <laughs> yeah, right, right. So the president can't just switch it every four years or eight years. They they really have to be kind of, they're, they're more solid and, and insulated, like I said, from that politics. And so the Federal Maritime Commission regulates that ocean industry. And so it's the fair and efficient movement of goods that, that are ocean-born, and so they, they're reviewing the alliances that are we've heard a lot about, and so that's all the ocean carriers working together. They don't work together on rates. They only work together on the vessel sharing and some of the operational side of things to really offer more options for the shippers. That was the whole intention, so the FMC watches that to make sure that that's what they're doing, that they're not creating too much of a monopolistic or or burden on the competition. They really, they're a comp- competition-based agency, similar to Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, you know, the the Securities and Exchange Commission, those are all independent regulatory agencies. This one is for ocean shipping. Right. And so we did have challenges at the ports during COVID. And again, we're still experiencing some of those. So now that I know there's some ocean shipping reforms, and I want to talk a little bit about that. And hopefully you can put it in layman's terms so we can understand um, what's happening and when it's happening. But these changes, you know, I'm not always a huge fan of the government, but I do. I'm not. I'm not a, saying we shouldn't have it, and certainly some of the things they do help. None of us, I don't think, wanted ELD, but when the ELD hit, it kind of created this visibility bonanza, and all of a sudden we have we can do so much more. So sometimes, even the, the even the uh, things that we look at and go, God, do we really need? Are an ELD to track hours of service? Probably not, but it worked out really well for us. So, so I think some of these things. And by the way, when we talk about ports, these are private public enterprises, and so there's not. It's not like you can build a port overnight. It's not something that you know anybody can do. It takes a lot of public. So we have to be really careful that when that nobody's able to kind of get an unfair advantage. And I know the ports kind of compete against themselves, but I also know they work really hard to cooperate with each other because that is kind of the way of the ocean, right? You uh, you don't let your competition sink because you say, well, we're going to make a lot more money, so we'll let their boat sink. No, that's not the way that world works. And we should all be thankful for that. <laughs> <laughs> that that's an interesting point too, because I mean, you know, as a society, like goods can't get into the U.S. without hitting the ports, right? And so during COVID, port workers weren't on the immediate list of emergency workers or, you know, the the essential workers. And it was like, are you kidding me? How do you think you're going to get those masks? You know, they, they, we're not flying that stuff in. It's so much more expensive. And maybe we did fly a lot of it in. But, you know, the the, the bulk commodity, it's so much cheaper to, to transport over ocean shipping. We have to have those ports. And so Yes, they compete against each other. They are independent of each other. You know, they can do alliances. They can do these kind of group cooperative working agreements, but those have to be filed with the FMC for the most part. But they're still competing. But yeah, I mean, we we want ports generally as a general statement to be successful if we want to continue to consume 
<laughs> what we consume. Ninety percent of everything moves by ocean transport. Right. We have all gotten spoiled by eating every day and living indoors. And let's continue that. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, so there's been this this change in it, and you told me before we hit record what it's called. It's the Ocean Shipping Reform Act of 2022, or as you called it, OSRA, O-S-R-A mm-hmm. 2022. So in layman terms, it's not too boring. Tell us, what are the three changes that we are going to see from OSRA 2022? Yeah, so so OSRA was was interesting. It came about June 16th, For, for maritime waters, it's interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so fascinating. You should watch it. <laughs> okay, you so make, it's a lot. You make you know, it. You yeah. make it interesting, Lauren. That's why you're on my podcast. <laughs> yeah, good, good, good. Yeah, so the Ocean Shipping Reform Act. So, so what was the law originally? It's the Shipping Act of 1984, and so the Shipping Act of 1984 created basically the rules of ocean shipping for you know ocean shipping to the U.S. And so it also created the authority for the Federal Maritime Commission to regulate that industry. And so it's important for them to regulate because as we're seeing, you know, we want to make sure that there is healthy competition in this industry. We don't want to have monopolies that drive things out of business unnecessarily. So, you know, that's that's the general notion. That's the baseline. So the Ocean Shipping Reform Act is something from Congress that said, look, we have some things from that original act that we'd like to modify. And so in order to modify the first and, act- And this is kind of based on COVID problems, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, COVID problems, but also we were seeing congestion start to build up in 2015. The former FMC chairman, Mario Cordero, who's now the executive director of Long Beach, actually said when he was the chairman of the FMC, I see congestion as becoming a problem. I see some equipment challenges, shortages. So Pre-COVID, it was already something that actually Commissioner Dye, Rebecca Dye of the FMC, had put together some supply chain innovation teams, Sky teams, and was doing reports and starting to really understand what was happening, what what's what's starting to stretch these chain links that we then ultimately saw. I mean. Arguably, break right. during during COVID and congestion. So yeah, so so that's kind of what was happening. Congress was spurred and and much faster, I think, than they otherwise would be because of COVID and because of the the challenges that everybody, I mean, every single person in America knew what the supply right. chain was. So there was three things you told me that really were the big impact. So what are those three things? So there are three rulemakings that, that are most notable. There was There's an invoice list that Congress set out that was very unique that Congress set out these 13 items. But the three rulemakings were unreasonable refusal to deal or negotiate with respect to vessel space. It was rulemaking two, detention and demerge prohibitive practices. And rulemaking three, which is yet to come out, unfair, unjust, discriminatory methods. And so Congress highlighted these three rulemakings, and there's more in, in the law, but as as things that the FMC needed to, in the short term, deal with and, and dive into. So it. describe a little bit with what each one means to us as shippers and as people who move shipments. Yeah, sure. So so the rulemaking on unreasonable refusal to deal or negotiate with, res- with respect to vessel space. So that one was interesting. There were a couple different ways that that one can be applied, but one of the kind of easiest examples to understand is, so we saw the normal box going from Asia to the West Coast was about 2000 containerized yeah. freight containerized freight yeah containerized freight was about 2000 bucks a box prior to covid maybe even a little less than that you know these these carriers that we've seen make billions of dollars 
were not making billions. If anything, they might have been losing money. They were money. losing money for years. They, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yep. So, you know, especially in 08, 09, they were actually like, they, they were in the negative as their balance sheet for the year. And so, so what was happening was during COVID, you saw $20,000 for that same box. I mean, you know, it just, it, everything, everything just got so pressurized, I guess, that the rate shot right up. And so, of course, they were going to see some new carriers entering the market saying, well, I'm going to jump in on that. I'm going to go over to Asia, pick up some boxes, bring them over. And and what they were doing was we were seeing kind of categorical exclusions and just kind of categorically denying. So meaning Lauren and Joe have a nice big container ship. We get to the port and they <laughs> mm-hmm. say, no, no, you're not going to drop off here. You're not going to be... No, so you could drop off, but saying that then the the carrier saying, but I'm not going to pick up em- any empties, and so we saw that all these all these boxes were just inundating the West Coast, right? We just saw, I mean, you saw on 60 Minutes, I think they were showing the streets lined with empty containers or maybe even full containers. There was nowhere for all this stuff to go, but it was 20,000 bucks a box. So why not just load up that ship and bring it back? I'm not going to wait around to to get loaded up with more. I'm just going to go back. So that was kind of one, at least one of the kind of oversimplifications of the problem was they were basically saying, I'm not taking anything else. I'm not getting paid as much for that part. I want to go back and get the big bucks again. So this rule kind of addresses that saying, look, you can't unreasonably refuse to deal or negotiate. So that's with respect the ports. The ports can't. No, the the carriers, carriers the the, the actual vessels. Mm-hmm. Yep. So the, the got it. So the carriers can't. If somebody should reach out to them, they can't unreasonably refuse or discriminate. And so that's what the rulemaking is getting at. So what does that mean? What does that look and, like? And I should also and, point out, and I just comment on this if it needs it. When you say all of a sudden a container was went from two thousand to twenty thousand. Most of the shipping coming here is with really big companies. So the General Motors, um, Home Depot, Lowe's, Target. I mean, everybody, right? I mean, mm-hmm. But I, I think if you look, they're like the 80-20, right? And they had contracted rates. So they didn't have to worry. As, it wasn't like Home Depot paid 10 times as much for each container. I mean, they, 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 they sometimes did. So the, those those service contracts, those contracted rates, the service contracts, there's two different kind of – targets or, 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 um, yeah. So there's spot market, which is, yeah. yeah, what we talk about. Those are kind of like the quick move. That's almost like, you know, looking at like <laughs> the stock market, That's right? transactional mm-hmm. business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. So if they had a whole bunch of new shipments that those were, they, they might've had to pay transactional rates for those, but for the contract, did they, they kept their rates. Right. But, but even so the service contracts got renegotiated in the middle of it because the carrier wanted to push them to, to, you know, okay, well, how, how am I going to keep honoring this $2,000 rate when I can drop that and, and go get, you know, a a higher rate? We do the same thing in trucking sometimes, I guess. I mean, yeah. And so that was, it was like, when is it strategy to drop the lower rate? And when is it like, when is it bad acting to drop and and force everybody? And so there's, you know, minimum quantities that are part of service contracts, but there's some, there's some specifics in service contracts that the FMC, um, some of the commissioners were saying, look, be a little bit more specific because you can't hold them to this great rate, you know, under the terms of the deal. And so that's, you know, this is not legal advice, but that's something that everybody should look at a little bit closer is make sure that you understand all the contracts that you're entering into good times and bad times and specifically, you know, bad, nobody saw this coming. I would call a good maritime lawyer to help me with that. 
<laughs> you, you know one. <laughs> I happen to know one. <laughs> yeah. So this was the first one. Is this for the shipping companies? No. Unreasonable refusal to deal. So that was really just, in some cases, just refusing business that wasn't super attractive. And it, at yeah. And, it, and it's open right now. So that's part of the rulemaking process. So the FMC puts out these rules. And so they ask for the industry to comment. It's open for one more day. It's open till tomorrow. And so if if you have thoughts on it, I mean, get your thoughts together, send them over. This won't publish. <laughs> this won't publish till Monday. So sorry. Oh, okay. Guys. All right. All right. Well, then then it will have closed by the right. time this publishes. So what's, but- what's the next, what was the next uh, thing that came with Os- Os- Osra? Osra. Osra. Yep. Yeah. So the, so the second rulemaking that I'm really kind of watching and, and the really the big one that a lot of people who do ocean shipping are is the detention and demerge prohibitive practices. So please tell us what is de- detention versus what is demerge. <laughs> I know so, I asked you the same question last time, but I don't think everybody knows. Yep. It's, and it's good that we all kind of have the same level set. understanding of terminology. So so detention is basically the rent charge to, to use the box, the actual container itself, the box. You get a certain number of days to use the box. And then after that time, there it's an ins- it's supposed to be an incentive charge to get you to return that box. And then demurrage is kind of the same principle, but it's on the space on the terminal. And so, okay, so a container gets offloaded off a ship and it sits there on the, on the yard. You maybe get seven, five, seven days of free days. You don't have to pick it up the second it gets off the ship, but you have five to seven days or whatever your terms are to go pick it up. And then after that point, you start getting charged a little bit. And then after a few days of a small charge, then usually it hyper picks up and and you get big charges because basically the whole point is supposed to be we want you to move your stuff. We, we want to keep things moving forward. And so it's not, it's not a warehouse guys. <laughs> exactly. Right. But like both of these, both of these charges are supposed to be in the FMC said this incentivizing the movement of goods. And so if it's not doing that, it's not, it's supposed to be found money. It's supposed to be, you know, something that like, Oh gosh, you, you're, you're taking too long. I gotta, I gotta, you know, I gotta move you along. And so that's what the FMC is trying to identify and really define is it's supposed to be used for in, in incentivizing the movement. So like if if the beneficial cargo owner, if the shipper is ready to go pick it up and and the yard or the carrier or somebody saying, no, you're not allowed to pick it up yet, how are they saying, no, you're not allowed to pick it up yet, also still charging you to come pick oh, it yeah. up and trying to incentivize pay. you? <laughs> right, right. And so that's it. So that's where the FMC is getting in the middle of here. And saying, okay, you couldn't load. You to... couldn't load my truck. So why do I have to pay? Yeah, you? like why am I paying? Yeah, exactly. So that's what they're trying to really kind of identify. And you know, we we, we say you don't love the government getting involved in too much, but this is where like this is where they fit. <laughs> it was the wild, wild west. There were no, I mean, there were rules, but like there were no specific rules here. This is just providing a little bit of a guardrail so that it's like, okay, you can't charge somebody if you're also telling them. You can't charge somebody saying, come pick up your stuff, if you're also saying, but you can't come pick up your stuff. Yeah. Like, that doesn't make sense. You know, it's funny. We all sign contracts on a regular basis or terms of agreement, right? And and the credit cards are famous for this, where you say, yeah, I got a new credit card. I sign on the dotted line. And basically, it says, we can do anything we want to you no matter what. <laughs> yeah, <right>. and, <laughs> and you are going to have to pay no matter what. There, it, it's the most one-sided contract you could ever write. But I do know that the government steps in and says, you can't do this you can't do this and and by the way every sing- single time you get a new software computer everything nobody reads those terms of agreement and i think this is just another example because when you're shipping something in whether you're the 3pl or you're the uh, shipper you get all sorts of those paper all sorts of paperwork from 
the, the, the cargo lines. And it's always like that. Or from the freight forwarder, it's always like that. Like you will pay for everything. And in this case, you're paying for something that is not your fault. They won't load your truck. They won't give you the freight. And yet they're going to charge you this huge fee. And by the way, you mentioned you might get seven days free, then five days at a, a price that's reasonable. What is that first five days usually? So, so yeah, so usually there's like free time and then it's just like a, like, 25 so not bucks always. A day. <laughs> yeah. Well, so yeah, 75 bucks a day or, or, you know, and something then what like does it that. Jump and then to? it might, and then it might pop up to 250 bucks a day. Oh, or so it could get ridiculous yeah, so very quickly. It gets very, yeah. There, there's, there are a lot of people who have millions of dollars of detention to merge from all of this congestion. So when you t- call Washington, you you can tell them that Joe approves of this. Most of this crap they're into, you can tell you can them. Tell I'm not- them yourself. The rulemaking's open. <laughs> tell them yourself. The rulemaking's open until December thirteenth. <laughs> you're my you're my maritime lawyer. <laughs> anyway, so again, detention is rent on the box. Demurrage is rent on the land that the box sits on. Yeah, and so what the FMC is trying to say is, look, you might call it per diem. You might call it, you know, like surcharges for box use. Whatever you call it, they're saying, look, we are hitting the crux of the issue. Demurrage is this. Detention is this. I don't care what you call it. We're saying the quack counts, not the duck name. And so they're already starting to say, like, look, we're we're cleaning it up. We're, We're breaking down the silos ourselves. We want everybody on the same page. And then, you know, they're they're really kind of diving in there and and saying that we there's some some real things that we need to make sure this needs to be for the incentivization of moving right. goods. We want to make sure things keep moving because if they get stuck at a port, nobody's benefiting, right? right? Like everybody. By the way, that's ex- that's exactly it. And I can tell you, this is my own. I'll make my story quick because I know I'm going to lose you at the top of the hour, but. I was shipping stuff to Asia this back in the 90s and was making cars in Asia. And my I won't mention the country because I don't want to disparage any country, but my partner in Asia said, hey, none of that stuff you shipped last the last few months has gotten here yet. And I was like, well, it's gotten there. It just hasn't cleared customs. And we didn't have the visibility that we have now. So then there's they, they would kept driving over to the port and saying, why isn't our stuff clearing? Well, what are we waiting on? What are we waiting on? And it was one guy one old guy who was just, he was near retirement, would not clear any of this. And all of a sudden, we start having discussions, conference calls between our Asian partner in Detroit about moving our prototypes back, moving launch back, because we could not clear millions of dollars worth of stuff. And then um, I was like, well, what? I don't understand. We, it's just like everything else we send. It, why is this stuff all stopped? And ultimately... Our partner there said we just gave them a brand new, fully loaded $80,000 car because it's this guy's retiring. So his last day on the job, he sat down <laughs> and signed all of this paperwork. And and so you go, well, it's just bribery. Well, of course that's bribery, but that's that is how you get a reputation of a not a good place to work. And and and. For no reason, this guy just said, I want that. I want it. I want an $80,000 car. And we gave it to him. And it was a good deal for us at that point. <laughs> yeah, probably, right? <laughs> but does anyone want to do business with countries that act like that? No. And so we it, that whole free, get that get that stuff moving through. We want throughput at those ports. Right, right, exactly. Well, and, and you know, you were saying, so like you're, you're waiting around, you're trying to get your stuff. So that's the other thing that the FMC is hitting on here is, you know, the, the relationship. You, saw, you, you were talking about signing off on contracts and you don't even know what it says. They also, so like detention and demerge invoices, 
can be sent to multiple people. And so people are like, I don't know if this is for me. I'm going to pay it. I don't want to not pay it. And so some invoice billings would get double, triple bill or, or paid. Oh, yeah. And, you know, there, there's no real track of who's paying what. And so now the FMC, through this rulemaking, and this is all proposed, but through this rulemaking is saying, we think that this should be one, maybe two people get billed. And it's very clear, like it's a clear CC on who's actually getting billed. But arguably saying maybe the motor carrier should be taken out of the the equation on responsible for paying this. They could pay it, but they're not responsible for paying it. And that way, it's the, the direct contractual relationship. So if there is a problem, the person who's in that direct contract should know and should be able to alert, hey, this is a problem here. This is not what we agreed to. So that that's part of what the FMC is really trying to dive into and, and kind of clean up that stuff. Yeah. My friend Steve Farrar, who's been on the podcast a few times, he does audits for this stuff. And he said the one of the big problems you have in transportation is some transportation manager, director of transportation, vice president, within his job description is always, will audit these bills. But he said, that's a joke because it is a job all by itself. And he said, and it's very, very difficult unless you know what you're looking for. Steve spent a lot of time working with the freight forwarding industry. So he understands this very well. And he says virtually every time he looks at invoices, he finds mistakes, overcharges. Oh, for sure. mm-hmm. yep. I'll, I'll put a link to the uh, interview with Steve. If you're looking to save money, he could save you money just by auditing. Anyway, so enough of my blather. So the first rule we talked about is unre- unreasonable refusal to deal. That's what, regarding vessel space. So that means the shippers have to work with people. The second is just prohibited practices on detention and demurrage. And that's just to get that to be fair. It's not fair that you can't get your stuff, yet you're having to pay rent for it to sit there. So what's the third thing you wanted to talk about that was related to, and then this is again, OSRA ASRA 2022. Sure. So so it's rule, the third rulemaking that we're still waiting on. So this is the last of the three that the FMC hasn't released yet, um, still working on, is unfair and unjust discriminatory methods. And so what this speaks to is there's only so many carriers out there, right? And so some shippers might be afraid to speak up and come out against these carriers and say, you know, I, I mean, this is just one example, but they, they might be afraid to say, well, we, you know, so-and-so, we want to sue so-and-so, but they don't want to get blacklisted. They don't want to get knocked off of that list and have the carrier say, oh, we, we're not dealing with you because we have changed business practices or what, you know. You no lo- you're no longer in our sweet spot. Sorry. Exactly. Right. And so, <laughs> has nothing you know, that, to do with the lawsuit last month. Right. Right. So so the FMC is kind of, you know, that's that's an area that Congress told the FMC to look at. But FMC was already kind of looking at that was. So what do we do with these unfair or unjust discriminatory methods? You know, if the carriers are blacklisting certain companies, it's supposed to be OK to have an actual true business reason for not there. You know, the FMC said in their detention to merge rulemaking that they're not trying to call favorites. They're not trying to dictate the actual business decisions, but it needs to be reasonable. And so that's what I think we're going to see with a third rulemaking is, so what is kind of unjust or unfair discriminatory methods? What, you know, by, by blacklisting somebody, you know, what does that actually look like? I mean, we can say it just casually here, but like, what does it look like to blacklist unfair or unjust discriminate. So I'm, ass- I'm assuming there'll be a process for challenging some of that, but that's not quite done yet, you said. 
Yeah, yeah. So, so that's it. So all of these rules come out in a certain form of a rulemaking. So there's a couple different processes of, of starting a rulemaking. But the, the first two, the unreasonable refusal to deal and the de- detention and demurrage rules, those are out under the notice of proposed rulemaking. So they're, they're both out right now for comment. They are industry comments. Anybody can comment on them. Anybody can, can look yeah, them up. By the way, I do, I, I do know this about the ELD and the Food Safety Modernization Act. They were actively pushing to, to, to get industry feedback. And I think also what they're always trying to do with these laws, or these are acts actually, is they don't want to create something that's so prescriptive, like you must do it this way. They just want to give, as you called it, guardrails and figure out the best way to do it. And I think that's what we want from the government. We don't want them to get really prescriptive and say, you must use this form. It sucks when you all of a sudden has to use the government form and now we can't get the nature of that just doesn't lend itself to streamlining. So I love that they're, they're, uh, they're accepting feedback. Again, this might, when this airs, it might be too late, but um, in general, <laughs> understand the government's always looking for your feedback on these yeah. things. Well, and, and detention to merge, that one is the big one. That one's open on a 60 day comment period. So that's open till December 13th. It just got released October 13th. So we got, we have 60 days and that's the big one. That's the one that a lot of industry is going to have a lot of thoughts, both carriers and shippers and everybody in between. Right. You know, this is your time to to really respond. Do you also think that the incentive principle is a good one? You know, should this charge only be used for the movement of goods or are there operational considerations? You know, maybe ports and terminals have thoughts on that saying, look, no, we, we use that money to pay our guys to move the stuff around. Or if it sits too long, that's that's money lost. Maybe that could be you know, part of the, the argument right. there. So yeah, it, it's interesting because it's, it's, it's what some of this reminds me of is do you ever get when you're driving and it's the end of the month and I've heard this more rumored than fact is that you get tickets more at the end of the month. And, and I, by the way, but where I live, I get on the expressway Saturday morning. If I'm going either to the football game or to go watch the game, there are 20 state cops on my way there. And, and I'm like, why, what is going on on Saturday morning? And I just get the sense that it's just go ticket those people. And I heard somebody say that there, there were some municipalities that were lacking funding for certain things because they didn't give out enough tickets during COVID. And I was thinking that shouldn't be part of your funding because that's an incentive for you to do the wrong thing. Which I pulled. Right, which we found money. I, right. Mm-hmm. I pulled Lauren over because we need the money. We need more money. Right. <laughs> right. right, right. Somebody's got to pay for my overtime. That's a horrible right, right. position to put the officer in. But it's also we're the citizens. We're kind of the customer. Usually not considered that way, but we are the customer of these services. Yeah. Well, and that's it too. I mean, so that's it. Detention to merge is supposed to be for the movement of goods. It's supposed to be found yes. money. Some years it'll be huge. Other years when things are moving efficiently, it'll be lower, right? I mean, so, so you can't assume that those billions of dollars will be there every year. Right. This is this is what we want from the government. Again, put some guardrails on it. Let's keep it let's keep it fair. So I'm going to summarize this. Then I want to get your final thoughts on Azra 2022. Then I want to hear about what's going on over at Squall Strategies before you go. So we talked about three things, and this is all related to Ocean Shipping Reform Act of 2022, ASRA 2022. Uh, so the first was unreasonable refusal to deal. That's just, again, to make sure that um, that the shipping companies are working with shippers who want to go and do biz, right? And and that's just that, that seems that seems fair given there's a limited amount of ports. Secondly, we talked about detention and demurrage, prohibited practices. And again, what was happening in some cases is you couldn't pick your stuff up, yet you were being charged for it. 
horrible, horrible. And again, I don't think anybody at the port was saying this is what we planned. This was a, it was a crazy time. And then the last, and last, last but not least, is this unfair and unjust discriminatory methods. We don't want that either. So, and that's you don't want to get blacklisted because you complained or because you had a dispute with one of the shipping. Companies. And that's just one example. That's just one example. Obviously, they're going to be hitting more, but you know that that's kind of the easiest to understand. Okay, so final thoughts on Osra 2022 from my friend Lauren Began over at Squall yeah. Strategies. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm. We, we've talked about this before. Like, you're, you're hesitant to say that government should be included in, in these things, but this was an area that was the wild, wild west, yes. right? I mean, there were rules previously, but there weren't specific rules on what needed to be included on an invoice. Okay, maybe we don't want to get too prescriptive, but like. The start time for demerge and the end time for demerge weren't required previously. Like you could get, I mean, I I joke, you could get a napkin with a number written on it that says demerge and and sent to you. That was allowed, I mean, allowed. And if you're working at the freight forwarder, they just put it in the bill. So it's not like Mm -hmm, you even, not even like you got a chance to talk about it. Like a fake number. I don't, what is this number? You know, and like it it didn't say which containers it was attached to. It didn't, you know, I mean, not always. I mean, just pay me. Shut up and pay me. Yeah. And like, but like, you don't even know, like, are you supposed to pay? Is he supposed to pay? Am I supposed to pay? Like, you know, okay, we'll all pay. Everybody's supposed to pay. (laughs) Yeah, right. Oh, that's it. And so you might have three people paying. So I, in general, like Azra, you know, I... Azra, so Congress created Azra. Congress had 13 different items that needed to be included on invoices. It was unique to have Congress get so specific on what needed to be included because usually that's what the agencies do. That's where the federal, that's where the federal maritime commission probably should have had a little bit more say they wanted to fix it quick. And so that's what they did. And so these were, you know, like I said, it was the invoice amount. It was the start date that you can't really argue with those. They're, they're generally okay. But then it's also like, well, what a start date mean? Is that, you know, free to like, like when is a container available? But okay. So, so Congress laid out these 13 items, but I, you know, I, I like that they also laid out these rulemakings. Some, the FMC was already starting on, but others, you know, the FMC didn't really have it as high of a priority. And Congress said, no, no, that we want that first, you know? So it, it gave them a, a honey-do list. <laughs> Which I guess that's their gig. So, (laughs) Lauren, I know I'm going to lose you in a few minutes here. So I want to – I know you've got a new podcast. What I'll do is I'll put a link to your new podcast in the show notes. So anyone who wants to check out what Lauren's doing over at – what's the name of your podcast? Yeah, it's called By Land and By Sea. By Land and By Sea. So shorten it, By Land and By Sea, an attorney breaking down the week in supply chain. I like it. I like it. And you told me it was like having homework every week where you had to go and study. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, we were saying when you first start, you, you want to kind of set goals for yourself. And that was one. I was like, well, this way I stay engaged every week. And now it's just fun. It's it's a great way to engage. And, you know, I, it's, it's, I don't have a huge, huge following, but I have a very specific, very kind of high level following, which is, which is fun. It's, it's great. I think the nature of our business is so complex. And then we're just talking about just ocean freight right now. There's just as much complexity in warehousing and over the road and all the specialized services we have. So education is not something that you get done with at 22 or 24 years old and say, I get it. Most of us didn't go to logistics or supply chain school. But even if we did, it'd be so out of date by now. (laughs) So (laughs) anyway, what else is going on over at Squall Strategies besides the podcast? 
Yeah. So, so, you know, not every question is a legal one. And that's what I was finding when I first started Squall was, you know, I was having people just ask me, you know, I don't necessarily want to retain you, but I just want to, can you explain this to me? So I created a second company called the Maritime Professor. I actually am a professor. I teach adjunct classes at a couple different graduate level programs, but, but, you know, I, I, I put the podcast over there so that I could have a little bit more kind of freedom of, of what I kind of can cover and, and really to keep it educationally focused. But then I'm also creating e-learning and, and doing some industry, you know, industry explaining. Yeah. So, so I'm putting together some courses. Um, so the maritime if you want to be alerted, www.themaritimeprofessor.com. If you want to be alerted to when those courses drop, I I'm, I'm building them now. I'll put a link in the show notes. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. But, but you know, that's exactly it. Like three PLs we were talking, anybody kind of in the logistics world, maritime is probably the mysterious side of it. You, you said, you know, it just shows up at the port and that's it. I called it the magic, just <laughs> where the magic happened because right. I, you, you would know you had shipments coming in or shipments going over, but it, it just what felt this in there? big black hole, right? <laughs> exactly. It, so I'm glad. So, that, so that's what the episodes do in the podcast is, you know, I really kind of dive into all those different things, but then that's what the e-learning courses are going to do is they're going to be kind of quicker hits. They're going to be, look, you want to learn more about this topic? We're going to go deeper than... Than I do in my episode and and you'll get to know it. And I break it down in real people terms. Like I'm, you know, I'm a lawyer, but I can translate it. Like I'm a, I'm a Midwesterner, you know, that, that speaks regularly. <laughs> right. Well, I like it. I like it. And again, I'm glad you're trying to illuminate this kind of murky area. And again, it's, I think so often when you're in transportation logistics, we're good at over the road. That's what most of us focus on. And so it's hard to understand, but we need to understand it's important to our job. Anyway, Lauren, I know I'm losing you. So thank you so much for coming on my podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. So great to be here. Always great chatting with you. Thank you, Lauren. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.